Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, located on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University in South Orange, New Jersey. Today, we are very happy to have Jill Johnson, the Chief Operating Officer for the Institute of Entrepreneurial Leadership, as our guest in our studio today. Every week, we focus on the best practices of leadership and the challenges of being a leader. And I'm so pleased that we have a South Orange resident, Jill Johnson, <laughs> on our program today. Not only is she the COO for the Institute of Entrepreneurial Leadership, she's also the host of her own program, Taking Care of Business, on NorthStarNews.com. She is also the co-chair of Main Street South Orange Economic Development Committee, who also happens to be the mother of four <laughs> boys, four very active boys. Jill, welcome to the program, and thank you for interrupting your very busy schedule today to share your thoughts and insights on leadership. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Wow. So tell us about the Entrepreneurial uh, Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. I know that you have co-founded this with your father. Yes. Tell us about how that all came about. Uh, it was a, a, a long journey, uh, but something about which we were both very, very passionate. Um, it really started, um, I would say, back with uh, my the launch of my career at Goldman Sachs. Uh, I was a financial analyst in mergers and acquisitions um, for two years and then a year in Chicago. Um, great experience, but not something that I chose to continue. And then I worked with my parents in their business, which was a newspaper publishing company called uh, City News. They had that for many years, first started in Plainfield, New Jersey, and then uh, moved to Newark. So I got, uh, you know, uh, the real taste of what it is to be in a small business where you are out making the deals and at the same time making sure the garbage is taken out and all those things. Um, with that, uh, my father should do a number of seminars and workshops and things like that. And um, in these, the issue of access to capital always came up. The target for the paper really was the uh, black community. And the issue of access to capital always came up. And so I looked at that from my perspective and said, well, it's easy to say that they don't want to give me a loan and to put that on someone else. Um, however, when I looked at it from my perspective and my background, I said, well, if I were to look at this, what you're calling a business plan as well, I doubt that I would loan you the money either because it's not communicating what the lender, what the investor really needs to see in order to be able to make that decision. And so um, we came together and said, you know, what is the right solution here? We really need an entity that can help to bridge the gap between people who need money and or, re, or other resources and the people who have those resources. And so we started the Institute for Entrepreneurial, Entrepreneurial Leadership, or IFL as we call it. Many people around just know it by IFL. IFL's great. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, you know, we started IFL really to be that resource to help more businesses, especially women and minority-owned businesses, to become capital ready. That's excellent. How long have, has Eiffel been in existence? Uh, we incorporated in 2002 and then launched with program services in 2004. And we kind of just started on a, on a shoestring. Um, and we started with some ideas and concepts that we thought would work. And to be honest, some of them did work and others didn't work the way that we anticipated. And so um, we've really changed the model over time to meet the needs of our audience. 
And as you look at the number of clients that you have, um, has that grown significantly since your launch in 2002? It has grown, um, but our model has also changed uh, mm -hmm. pretty significantly in that we initially were more programmatic and doing workshops and, you know, in almost like a, a classroom uh, course type track. And um, several years ago, we moved away from that. The feeling being that there are a lot of great organizations that are doing um, programs and classes and workshops and providing information. And, you know, these days, most of what you need to know, uh, if you just need information, is on the Internet as well or, you know, at your local library. And I put in that plug because I'm on the Newark Public Library Board. <laughs> I noticed that you're also on the board of the NJIT. I think there's a business incubator there. Uh, not on the board, but that um, is where our uh, we have done our, um, our program services uh, for some time. Um, but anyway, you know, the, the information is information is out there. In fact, many entrepreneurs suffer from information overload. Right. And that's where we saw the gap that um, people go to all the workshops and seminars and things, but how do they integrate that information into their business? How do they take all the things that they're hearing, all the suggestions, how do they take that information and actually grow their business and take it to the next level? And that really requires a lot of one-on-one, -on -one intensive hand-holding. Um, so... The clients that we have, you know, there's some that I talk to every day, several times a day for a period of time, depending on their needs at that time. So our model has shifted where it is much more um, advisory uh, and consultative in nature and sometimes a little marriage counseling thrown in there, too. <laughs> um, you know, but uh, so the number of clients uh, that we're working with right now um, it, it's it's grown uh, significantly because of the different programs, but the level of intensity, I think, has changed as well. Can you cite a particular uh, company that has done very well uh, that has come through your, your program? Yeah, well, one of the companies um, that, you know, is on the radar right now and that we uh, talk about and that has just been so, so exciting for us uh, is a, a woman who was in our first business plan competition cycle. That's something that we launched two years ago. And uh, that was very exciting. So I will say that's actually the one programmatic type of thing that we do. Is that the business that has the coffee shop in the Devil's <laughs> Arena yes. that I saw some great promo yes, about? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so she beautiful, submitted... Beautiful, beautiful uh, retail shop. Oh, it's yeah. it's it's lovely. And, and Newark and other communities need more places like that, certainly. Um, but she was part of... Uh, it's a woman named Cheryl Austin. Uh, she was part of our first business plan competition cycle. And the reason we do the business plan competition really is to encourage more people to go ahead and get that business plan done. Uh, so many entrepreneurs will talk about having a business plan half done or they, it's in their head, they're thinking about starting it. Well, this provides some motivation to go ahead and get it done. And so she was a finalist in that competition. And uh, part of the prize package for the finalists is that they get a year of support from the Institute for Entrepreneurial Leadership. And so she was looking, she was going in a little bit different direction. She was going with a franchise uh, concept. And, you know, then the economy turned around and the resources that she had saved weren't going to take her as far uh, as she had initially anticipated. Um, she was looking for a location and wasn't really settling on, on something that she uh, was happy with. And then the opportunity uh, presented itself, and I'll share how it actually happened. Um, I'm on the library, the Newark Public Library Board with uh, Jeff Vanderbeek, who is the president of the board. 
And uh, he and I had an occasion to talk, and actually we were playing golf. He invited me to play golf, uh, which I don't actually play golf. Um, so we can talk about. I, I'm impressed <laughs> with all with everything that you're doing, and you have time to play golf for business. That's great. Well, you know, uh, when when you get an invitation like that and get to spend a little bit of time with someone like Jeff Vanderbeek, who a lot of people want to, you know, some time with him, um, and he was willing to make himself available, you take it. Um, and so I did. Uh, it was it was great. We had a lot of fun, um, but it gave us a significant amount of time to just talk about things and for me to get to know more about his interests and what they were doing with the the devils and their goals for development around the arena and their interest in supporting minority and women-owned businesses as well so as we were having uh the conversation he mentioned that they were looking to do a coffee shop in a location in the arena and so i said well wait a second you know i have a client who is uh, looking for a location why don't we put you guys together and so, you know, I think it was based on his trust that that this I had someone who was serious. Um, we uh, we met and it was uh, with him and um, with the I believe he's the executive vice president for operations, but a guy named uh, Gordon Lavalette uh, with Shaw. And they they talked and, you know, after months and figuring out that this is a good fit and it was a win for everyone around um, and and the fact that because all those guys who are invested uh, from the Devils organization um, have daytime jobs, making, you know, the arena and the Devils uh, successful, um, you know, she wanted to do this full time and be in the shop on a day to day basis and run it. So, again, now you have an investor who's also managing it day to day. So, uh, you know, that really worked out well. So, um you know, it's it's been a great ride. Several weeks before she was, uh, they were set to open. She said, "You know, wow, it's been a kind of a year from the time that the initial meeting happened till now." And you know, she said, "I almost can't believe it's happening." I said, "Well, it is happening." That is awesome. Twelve months from discussion to opening the doors. Well, discussion about the strategic partnership. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, to opening the doors and. Um, you know, it wasn't all completely smooth sailing, but, uh, you know, it took a lot of uh, persistence. And, uh, again, the fact that it made sense, uh, you know, for all involved. So, um, you know, that's been really exciting. But those are the types of, of deals that Eiffel works on. Um, you know, it's not just the, uh, here, let me read read your business plan or, you know, let me teach you how to do something and then go off into your, unto yourself. It's really helping our clients and, and looking out for opportunities for our clients um, and helping them to identify opportunities that they don't yet see. You know, that's for us what it's about. Well, I think uh, this is a testament to not only your knowledge of working with folks with their business plan, but also using your network mm-hmm. and placing the right businesses with the right folks who are looking to to do something like this. So that was that was an excellent match on your point. Yeah, well, so much of about so much about a lot of things really does count, come down to who you know. Now, once you get the introduction and get your foot in the door, you have to make good use of that. Um, uh, you know, so so the introduction is going to get you get the door open for mm-hmm. you. Um, but to me, everything is so much, we, we would all do so much better with strategic partnerships. 
and um, figuring out how to best leverage our resources. When you don't have uh, unlimited resources, which really no one does at the level at which they play, um, you have to figure out how to make those resources stretch. Uh, someone not too long ago said to me, um, you know, you're like a connector. And I thought about it and I said, yeah, and, and I enjoy that because mm -hmm. it's, I, I feel like that is a, a talent and a gift that I have being able to see things that um, other people may not see or just connect the dots. Well, if you look at your experience at Goldman Sachs, you're involved in mergers and acquisitions, and that's really marrying up two different companies who maybe uh, didn't know each other, but now they, their interests are aligned, and it uh, sets it for a great acquisition. Absolutely. Yes. So, you know, if you were to characterize your organization's mission, how would you characterize it? Well, uh, what Eiffel is, um, as an organization, you know, and we're a nonprofit, um, we support economic development through entrepreneurship. And that's really what we talk about. Um, uh, you know, for all the stimulus and everything else that's happened, my personal opinion is that if all that money had just been taken and we put it into small businesses and helped to capitalize them and help them to thrive, that would really address a lot of the issues that are out there, um, creating jobs. Um, it's my opinion that when you have a thriving small business community, um, especially in neighborhoods uh, that have significant challenges that are often chronic in nature, um, you also get many residual benefits, um, mentoring programs. So again, we have lots of mentoring programs out there. But you know, it was a while back when uh, the business owners and the store owners were the ones who were the mentors. They were the ones who um, gave the, the kids the job. So they were the summer youth employment program. Um, they uh, sponsored the Little League teams or the Pop Warner football teams. And so you know, I, I think unfortunately we don't have as much of that as we really need, especially in some of these smaller towns in New Jersey. Um, I think we certainly don't have it in some of the, in most of the inner city communities the way that we really should. And um, I just think that, that putting resources into small businesses really could have a much, much greater impact than a lot of people realize. I would agree with you. I grew up in a grocery store, <laughs> and uh, so I fully understand about Did you the, work the register? I worked the register. I did everything. <laughs> got, got up at 5 in the morning to go to the market to get, to get the goods for the store and shelve them and sell them and, yep, did all that. So I that fully understand you great that. lessons. You know, and it, it, it allows a community to have that dollar to circulate around their community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think that's what we're missing because uh, folks are going out to the malls or going out to other places to shop. That money leaves the community, which means that um, you, you can't hire someone to do something if you don't have uh, – people coming in to support your business. To, right. To I mean, that. I even think it impacts things like crime when you have oh, yeah. shop owners that and, and stores that are all full and robust mm -hmm. and people going in and out. People don't have an opportunity to stand on the corner and conduct crime. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a matter of having uh, choices. Uh, I'm mm -hmm. from Atlantic City, New Jersey. And I don't know if you saw the New York Times article recently about Atlantic City struggling, even with casino gambling. Mm -hmm. And they have a particular casino uh, that, is the, uh, that is not finished yet. The outside is finished, but the inside is empty. Mm. And one of the problems is that uh, Pennsylvania has hurt their business because they have opened up casinos. But what Atlantic City hasn't figured out is how do we create a vibrant community like Las Vegas has done? Because right. you'll see a lot of empty uh, blocks in Atlantic City. So it's so important that you build that technical infrastructure of jobs because when you have a community of folks, they, they need a shopping center. They need the, the person who repairs shoes. They need the dry cleaner. And, but when you take all that stuff away, those jobs go away. 
Right. So I think your idea is, is spot on. Um, my One of my next guests that I'm going to have is Judy Estrin on the Innovation Gap. Hmm. And she talks about how we can address the economy woes by uh, addressing uh, folks to get an education in science and math and be able to articulate that in the undergraduate and graduate level so that they can create the new ideas which creates patents and trademarks. And what happens when we have those patents and trademarks stay here in the United States, that creates jobs. So we have a huge, some huge issues in the United States, and uh, small business is definitely one of them. W- speaking about small business, did you get? Did you see the president's press conference on um, his ideas for small business the other day? I did not. I have not seen that yet. Yeah, I have to YouTube it myself because I was I was tied up. But right. I'm curious to hear exactly what type of stimulus they are going to provide small businesses because small business is what drives this country to greatness. Yeah, and you know, unfortunately, I think we have to be even a little careful when we talk about small business because that is there's such a wide range. Um, that could be a business that has you know 50 employees and is doing three million dollars in revenue. And for your average type of business, woman minority business, uh, especially that we're talking about in uh, some of the communities in which we serve, they would. Um, you know, they look at that as, wow, I'd be doing really well if I was at that level. Mm -hmm. And so there's a difference between that type of a small business and a small business that is less than $500,000 in revenue and has a couple of employees. Um, uh, One of the challenges, I think, is that a lot of people who want to help and support small businesses um, in the governmental arena don't really understand what small business is all about. And that's evident when you see the support coming in the form of tax credits. Well, I can't spend, I can't give someone the tax credit to take home for their paycheck. Um, I have to have the money in order to be able to get the credit on the back end. And then I've seen some programs where um, the person had to be employed at a, at a certain wage rate, which was well above minimum uh, wage, and they had to be employed for um, the employment had to extend beyond 12 months or something, and the money would be given at a certain point of time after the person had been hired. And so, again, if you don't already have the resources to hire that person, th- that type of a package doesn't do anything to help that. And that really appears to be a huge disconnect. Yes. A huge disconnect. Yes. You have a passion for this. I've, I've, I think I've known you now for five or six years. I, I'm trying to remember when we first met. But you've always had a passion for uh, helping people to get started in business. Where, when did you have this, this epiphany? Uh, when did you have this aha <laughs> moment that said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do? Uh, um. I don't know. You know, I guess maybe part of it is just my personality that I always like to tell. I've always liked to tell people what they should be doing. Um, <laughs> so I think that this probably my my telling small business owners what they should be doing deflects some of that from me telling my husband what he should be doing. And I probably do too much of that also. Um, you know, to me, it really is about the the creativity and ideas. And, you know, every time I go someplace um, or talk to a business owner or, or just really look at a lot of things, I'm always looking at how can this be better? How can it be improved? How can it be bigger? Um, you know, and some people take the approach, well, you know, Jill, you should learn to be more satisfied with where you are and not always looking for how can you make it better. But um, that is really my it, it really is just part of my nature. Um, I uh, need efficiency. Um, and so when I see processes and things, I just go into a store and say, 
why, why are we doing it like this? It could be so much more efficient if we did it another way. Um, and those are some of the things that small business owners need because many, again, of the business owners that we work with they are great at their craft, at their trade. They cook well. They make amazing pies. Um, they, uh, you know, do powder coating. They know exactly what it is that they, um, th- their craft, that skill. But what they are not experts in are things like the marketing or, you know, why do I need to use QuickBooks or um, even getting that set up and, and all those things that will determine or are the determinants of really having a strong foundation to be successful long term. And so that's where, you know, me coming in and liking to make things bigger and better and how do you take it to the next level, um, it's a good match. So the relationship that I have, and, and quite frankly, the volunteers and other people that work with Eiffel as well are all very similar. They're able to look at how do you start at one place and go to another level, um, it's a very good match with the entrepreneurs because, again, they know their craft, they know their trade, and have a skill, and they are interested, and this is a big part of it, being interested and wanting to go to the next level. So they're receptive then to this advice and having people that are staying on them to do things differently and get out of their comfort zone. Let's talk about Harvard for a second. Sure. What did you do at Harvard in Uh, regards to... Your preparation. I hope we're just talking about the economics and the classroom part of it. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, absolutely. (laughs) I had a very good time at Harvard also. Did you? Okay. I didn't think they partied at Harvard, but... uh. (laughs) We had our form of partying. Okay. Um, But uh, as I just mentioned, I... um, I was a, uh, an economics, Mm -hmm. uh, had an economics concentration. Um, I did a lot of work actually in um, political uh, history and development. in, in, you know, what are called third world countries, and I actually really hate that term, but um, uh, in, in developing countries. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, to be honest, majored in or concentrated in economics because I didn't really know what else to do. And to me, that was the closest thing to something that would be an employable skill. I thought it was the closest to business. Mm-hmm. Now I've come to find out that it's really nowhere, has nothing to do with business per se. Um, it is, you know, economics, very... That's very important, though. Theoretical. That's very important. I was an economics major before I switched to marketing, so I I took probably about five or six courses in economics. But I I find it fascinating to understand the macroeconomics and the microeconomics. But um, but anyway, here. I just don't feel like a lot of it uh, works. Okay. (laughs) So I I guess I'm I'm much more of a practical person, practical application. Mm -hmm. So, but again, it was a it was a great background to understand. why uh, politicians and and the economists uh, view things in certain ways and why they make certain decisions. Right. It's just the impact. And what about any extracurricular activities at Harvard? Um, uh, you know, I, I ran track a little bit. Um, I started out rowing crew, which was something very different and mm-hmm. uh, unique. Um, but that was very, very early morning and, uh, you know, on the water and the winter. And so I didn't stick with that too long. But it was a great experience to, uh, to try that. Um, uh, I was involved in the uh, Black Students Association mm-hmm. uh, and some other activities. I actually, you know, now that I think about this, I actually did the radio station ah, when okay. I was at Harvard. Uh, so I was the DJ. I remember the time that I put the music on. And I was in the station and listening to it, and someone called in and said, 
There's nothing going out over the air. I had forgotten to flip the switch. <laughs> um, so, you know, you live and you learn. Uh, but that was a, a great experience. Um, and then I also am a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. Okay. A citywide chapter there. Right. So, um, you know, got around to a lot of the other campuses mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and have a, 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 a really, really great range of uh, friends that are not only from Harvard, but from the s- schools in the surrounding area. You're very involved in the community now and mm-hmm. have been since I've known you. Uh, at Harvard, through Delta Sigma Theta, were you involved in doing community projects? I did coach a girls track team there, and we did some other um, uh, outreach activities that included mentoring and uh, raising money for different uh, community groups. And then tell me, after uh, Harvard, you went to Goldman Sachs, is that correct? I went to Goldman Sachs, and even there, I was involved in a Big Brothers, Big Sisters mentoring mm-hmm. program when they brought the uh, kids to the office. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't have a lot of time while I was at Goldman Sachs ex- to exactly. do too much else. That's right, that's right, that's right. But when did you start to realize that um, you wanted to apply your skills to uh, women and minorities in business? You know, again, uh, my parents having the newspaper, it has been part of, you know, us for a long time. Uh, You know, definitely my parents were very passionate about that. A lot of people know my father, Dr. Henry Johnson, in the community for that work that he uh, has done over the years. Um, And, you know, it's probably when I made the decision to not continue on the trajectory of the Goldman Sachs and then go to business school and then go back into banking. Uh, You know, although sometimes I think, wow, what would the paychecks look like now? (laughs) Um, But, you know, really it was that I was not passionate about that work. Um, And so I just did not foresee myself doing that for any length of time. And also, to be perfectly honest, I knew that I was interested in a family and children and didn't feel that that would necessarily facilitate that. Uh, with four very that active need boys. <laughs> <laughs> that I had, and and so I wanted to, um, you know, do something that I thought was meaningful, which was my parents' newspaper. We also had a magazine called Yes Youth Excited About Success, and I used to go around the country, develop uh, programs, motivational programs uh, for young people in schools, mostly middle and high school age. Um, I met a lot of kids around the country, um, visited con- uh, schools in mostly urban districts, uh, again, all over the country. And it was something I felt really good about, I, I was passionate about, um, and I just like to do things where I feel like I'm, I'm contributing and making a difference. And um, how are you in delivering advice to entrepreneurs? <laughs> you seem to be pretty direct. <laughs> I am direct uh, because I think that, unfortunately, they don't have enough people that are willing to tell them the truth oftentimes, and that can be their downfall. Um, And so while I'm direct, I'm also, uh, I believe, incredibly supportive. It is not unusual for me to have a call with someone at 10 o'clock at night, at 11 o'clock at night. Um, Like I said, there are certain times when I talk to some clients every day, multiple times during the day. It just depends on what they need. I have uh, one client who makes these wonderful, wonderful uh, gelatin parfait desserts. Her company is Simply Brits and uh, Simply Brits Gourmet. And, um, you know, she, she, we laugh because when I call her at times, she says, you were reading my mind. How did you know that I just really needed to talk to you right now? So, um, you know, I, I think that, uh, 
the clients are receptive because they understand one that I really care about them. I'm passionate about their business. I can talk about their business, you know, almost as well as they can. Um, you know, and I can can be there to provide that sounding board that they need, uh, rather than them operating in a vacuum and trying to do everything uh, and make every decision on their own. Now we're about to uh, wind down because we're at the end of our segment, but you're going to come back next week uh, to explore this topic further, correct? Absolutely, I'm looking forward to it. What is there a particular quote that you would like to share with the audience that motivates you in what you do in regards to leadership? No, well, you know what? There's not a particular quote. I mean, I think there are a lot, but I'm a simple person. And as I was reading through some of the notes about this show, uh, I'm going to borrow yours, that leadership begins with you. I think it's it's a wonderful quote because that is really where the buck stops. It is all about you. So if something's not going right, you need to first look to yourself. Well, very good. Well, we are here with uh, Jill Johnson, who is the COO for the Institute of Entrepreneurial Leadership, better known as Eiffel. And uh, we're coming to you from WSOU 89.5 FM. I'm your host, Darrell Gunter, with Leadership. And we remember, leadership, it begins with you. Have a great day.